My dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron, and my dad, Don. All right, you guys, welcome to episode 281 of the Ron and Don Show. We are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, coming up on, on the Ron and Don Show, you're not gonna leave you're not gonna believe who is leaving the late night war. Yeah, the late night TV wars. And you're not gonna believe what he or she is up to uh, as a result of that. Also, I'm going to ask Ron this question. What is the one big takeaway that you have learned from COVID? Because it seems like as the rest of the world is still suffering, a lot of us that have been vaccinated now see, see COVID as a thing of the past, and we're getting back to our old lives and our old lifestyles. But what is it that we learn that we will take with us into the future, if any? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. I saw this heat wave coming. Uh, a number of weeks ago. And so I went out online because I went to some big box stores and I was trying to find some fans for my Airbnbs because a lot of these are old craftsman homes. They have old ductwork and they don't have these mini splits in them that are so great today that a lot of homes have because now, you know, not only do you you have heat without ductwork, you just have a heat pump, but also you have AC in the summertime, which is really great. And some of my properties have that. Some of them don't. For the ones that don't, I didn't order just fans. I ordered the Lasco air circulating fans, right? And I ordered, I believe, 12 of these. Somehow, and this is just something, this is, this is a Don O'Neillism. Somehow in the quantity, I hit two, I think. And, and so instead of getting, and you think if you hit two, you would get two Lasco fans. I ended up getting a double order of 12, so I've been up to 24. I noticed you had a giant stack of fans on your... Porch. Yeah, they were on my porch. I moved them into my house, and then I, I like every one of my Airbnbs now has like eight Lasco fans in it because I have so many fans. So I have I have some of these fans left over, and we're in a heat wave right now in Seattle where it's about 100 degrees. A lot of people making fun of me about the double order of the Lasco fan because it's been sitting down in my living room. People have come in and they're like, oh, do you sell for Lasco now? Just uh, thinking that, oh, I guess the podcast, the real estate thing didn't work out. So now you're selling Lasco fans door to door. He he ha ha. Guess what? Guess what? This is probably, you and I have lived on and off in the specific Northwest, I think 27, 28 years. This will be the hottest it's ever been on record in Seattle. I got five Lasco fans left. I have seven friends that have asked for the Lasco fan. I'm going to have to make some real hard decisions here because if you try to order a Lasco fan now, not just a Lasco, but an air circulator, this isn't just any fan, Ron. It's not some What's box the difference between an air circulator? What's that? How's that different than a fan? It's just when, when one of my clients says, hey, can you drop by a fan? I'm like, I'm not going to drop by a fan. I'm a super host at Airbnb. 
I'm going to drop by an air circulator, which is the same damn thing as a fan. Gotcha. Yeah. But on the box, it doesn't say fan. Not, it says not, it's an air circulator. Are these, so I are these friends really, wanting to buy the I, fan or they want you to give them the fan? Well, you know, I don't know. The, 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 the prices online have gone up double and triple in price. And so I don't know if I should lease these fans out, if I should be renting these a, fans. A lease option. I think on the fan? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, each fan is $33. These are very, very expensive Lasco air circulators. Just checking in with you before I give the fans away. Uh, do you do? You, do you need Alaska? I made a huge mistake because you, you remember uh, if we go in the wayback machine back to uh, Christmas time and before and after that, I had a big flood at my condo. We talked about that. I was had to vacate the premises for for three months. So while everything was tore out, I had bought one of those air conditioning units that you stick the hose out the window. You know the the pipe thing goes out the window. And they work. They work pretty well, actually. Uh, this one, it said that it was big enough to do my whole living room kitchen area with square footage. Yeah, you got to get like a, for your area, you'd have to get like an eighteen hundred, I think. But it it was it, it cooled it off, but not. You know how I like it cool. Yeah. Like if I want it cool, I want it cool. Yeah. Like sixty eight degrees cool. Yeah. So it, it would never get me down into the sixties. So round about March, I said, you know what, I'm taking that out. So I unscrewed the thing for the window, took it all out, took out all the piping, oh. removed the whole thing, moved it, moved it into storage. I was like, this is underpowered anyways. I'm going to figure this out by summer. Here we are, the hottest week of the year, the hottest week of our lifetime. Yeah, and, uh, in, Se- in Seattle. It is still sitting in storage. I did not figure it out by oh. summertime. And so now I do have multiple fans going. Yeah. But... I'm. I might just try. I don't know if I should just bring it back. Where is it? It's sitting in storage, oh. but I don't know how to how to vent it. I could vent it from like my bedroom into the living room, oh. or the living room into the. I, I don't know. That doesn't work. Yeah. No. Huh? Do you got? Do you have just box fans over there, or you got a, a air circulator? <laughs> <laughs> I think I got both. Okay. I think I should be fine. I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. Let me let me look at this fan before I All leave. Right. See you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, what's going on? You know, as we get on the other side of the pandemic, a lot of us are looking for work or maybe have a job, but you want a better job. How about getting a job at Les Schwab? That's right. If you like to work around upbeat people, make good money and make a difference in the community, Les Schwab, they want to hear from you. In fact, they're looking for great humans right now to serve as tires and wheels and also get customers safely back on the road. And again, they do a lot of philanthropy. It's really cool stuff. You don't need experience. They're going to train you because that's what they do at Les Schwab. So learn more about all these great career opportunities and the generous profit sharing program. All you got to do is go to leschwab.com. That's leschwab.com. Les Schwab, doing the right thing since 1952. I would definitely recommend working with Ron and Don. Completely satisfied. 100% guaranteed. <laughs> if you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. Hi, my name is uh, Anthony Kroll. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Byron. Hi, I'm Ollie. Hi, I'm Emmy. We are Team Greenland, and we sat, sat down, down with Ron, Ron and Don. Don. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, we talked about pricing. We talked about staging. We talked about location, about what the market was like. He gave us so much information. We would have a game plan and there'd be a team helping us and we mm-hmm. went for it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Thanks to Ron and Don, we got the house of our dreams under asking price, which just does not happen in this market. And we could not be happier. And we wouldn't have been able to be where we're at in terms of buying and renovating a house without his expertise and support. Uh, we got an offer, I think day one, that was 25 to 50,000 over asking. I'm like telling my wife, don't you think we should take this? And she's like, no, we're sticking to this. We're gonna wait till that offer review, review date, like Ron and Don said, waited till offer review date. And we had like seven or eight more offers and an offer 100,000 over asking. With Ron and Don, you get two great minds that perfectly complement each other. You get the data and analytics, you get the creativity, the drive, and the energy. They are, they are the complete package. If someone asked me, in fact, someone did ask me uh, recently how we sold our house so fast. And I said, well, we had a great realtor team and that makes all the difference. Don't forget when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at runanddonsitdown.com. Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. <laughs> All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 281. Uh, as you heard, we're licensed brokers at Windermere. If you want a buyer's playbook, a seller's playbook, uh, just reach out to Ron, ron at windermere.com. Thanks for all your business this year. Thanks for all the referrals. This is a referral business. And thanks for referring us to your friends and family. We really appreciate you, Ron and Don Nation, uh, for doing that and getting that done. Uh, the Late Night Wars. Conan O'Brien is out. Uh, they say after 28 years, he's done doing Late Night. And uh, he's going to leave TBS. He's been there since 2010. And, of course, you saw him on the major networks and the meltdown that happened with uh, – uh, David Letterman, and some of the other networks, Jay Leno, the whole thing. It's just a real mess. So he found a home on TBS, didn't find a big following, uh, but actually has done pretty well in those bite-sized portions of things that he does on TBS online. Uh, it's kind of the way that Jimmy Fallon survives right now is by cutting up a lot of the bits that he does and selling those bits online. So anyway, uh, he's going to do something like Letterman's doing right now. He's going to do... Something for HBO Max. He's going to sit down, do more long-form interviews. What's interesting to me about this is I never like like his kind of humor. Like I like he's witty and and but he's not funny to me. He does these really long windups for all these bits that he does, and and I have never found that interesting or compelling. But but as he became as he got more comfortable doing the late night thing. Where I really have enjoyed him is where he sits down and he'll actually do a serious interview with someone. And I don't know if he learned this in, in watching Howard Stern's development, for instance. That was the thing with Jay Leno. Jay Leno could come out and do the stand-up thing well because he would still go away on the weekends and do stand-up every weekend in Las Vegas. But when it came to the interviews, nothing was there. For me, same with Jerry Seinfeld when I watch him comedians in cars getting coffee. I know that a lot of those comedians wouldn't talk to him. Like, for instance, he just had Eddie Murphy on. And if he wanted to talk about Eddie Murphy's run-in, uh, for instance, with someone that, that was transsexual or his run-ins with, with uh, uh, prostitutes or wanted to talk about his kids and different wives and all, Eddie wouldn't come on and do that. But if you tell Eddie, hey, just come on. We're going to stay in a narrow lane of just talking about comedy. Uh, 
I, I see that and I get that. But there's so much more that I wish Jerry would ask Eddie Murphy. And I'm sure Jerry has the skills to do that. I'm just, I just bet Eddie Murphy wouldn't be open to that. But anyway, I find it kind of interesting that a lot of these television stars and even radio stars are finding a second life and a second career by just do, sitting down, doing some long-form interviews. That's what he's going to do for HBO. And then he has a, a fairly successful podcast. And if you listen to it, it's not these long wind-ups and these bits that go on forever and ever that are kind of cornball. Uh, they're actually really good, thoughtful interviews. So what is your take on uh, Conan O'Brien leaving the late-night wars? I, I kind of hope the format dies soon uh, in, in the way that it's currently configured. So I hope he does well. I'm, I'm with you. I was never a huge fan. But this the, the era that has lasted for 50, 60 years now of the middle-aged white guy that sits in a chair behind a desk and then parades out pop culture people ad nauseum and then has a musical guest – I think the format is really, really tired. Well, Jack, Jack Parr started it, and then it was Johnny Carson that perfected it. And then so many late-night shows, you go back to Chevy Chase, for instance, or you go back to Dennis from Late Night. Miller. Miller. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. You, you start thinking about all these great entertainers where they tried to shape the format. Remember Whoopi? She would just sit there on a couch. Magic Johnson. Was it Magic Time? When he Magic to, hour. Yeah, so so and going back to Chevy Chase, so I think got canceled after four episodes. It it it's not an easy format to do or protect or, or or But it's just relatively inexpensive for a network because it happens in the same place every time, the same gear, the same crew, so you're not doing a drama, you don't have to pay a bunch of of, of writers to create this thing, you're not building sets, you don't have the cast of friends where each person gets a million dollars per episode. Yeah. So in the grand scheme of this, it's expensive by, you know, when you just hear the numbers, but by TV standards, it's cheap. It also has the added benefit of you can put your own people on there. So when you're CBS, and you got new shows coming out, all the CBS people go on the CBS late night show and the morning show. And so it's this self-perpetuating machine. But when's the last time you watched on, on network TV that you watched Saturday Night Live or one of these late night shows, you watched an entire episode of any of those? Yeah, I don't. I just watch, I watch clips. I watch clips online. And yeah. so I think the format itself um, is, is very tired. And, you know, that's what was interesting about something like The Chappelle Show is he did something. It was a, a variety show um, and it involved a comedian, but he wasn't doing interviews. Yeah. Even though he probably could do better interviews than most, um, he did something unique with it. And so I think that's funny. And even stuff like, um, you know, Stephen Colbert, I'll watch his monologues. I think he's very witty. I rarely ever watch an interview um, he doesn't do really do bits per se. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's, it's served its time. Mm. It's served its time. It just doesn't fit into today's media landscape. And when I can go on Netflix or Disney or whatever, and just like someone turned me on to the Mandalorian and uh, our mutual friend, Dave, he's like, Oh yeah, watch the Mandalorian. I go in there. I can watch the whole season. Like, I don't have to wait until next Thursday to see episode two. It's like I watch the whole season. I can talk to him about it, and, like, it's done. And the new season. So, like, that's the new reality we live in. And, like, your son. he I was over one time. He's like, I want to watch Star Wars 3. Boom. We open it up. There's Star Wars 3. You're watching it. it, it it's 
it's on-demand entertainment, and that format just doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, my son made me sign up for Disney Plus the other day, and I'm like, I am not going to like. And then I saw the National Geographic Channel. The na- they had this show where they like drained the Atlantic during World War II. You can see everything that's on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. They do it with the Titanic. It's incredible. Let's check it out. It's awesome. See you on the other side of it. Hey, what's going on, Ron and Don Nation? This is Therese, a new team member on Ron and Don Team. It's tough out there for buyers right now, and that's why you need a buyer specialist like me. Let's send you a buyer's playbook, and for you sellers, we have a seller's playbook. Reach out to the team, and let's do a sit-down, and we'll get you these playbooks. Just reach out to us at ronanddonsitdown.com, and we'll schedule a sit-down today. Now back to the show. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 281. As you heard, we're licensed brokers at Windermere. We're here to help you. We are just here to help you. So if we can help you, all you got to do is reach out, ron at windermere.com, and we'll arrange a 45-minute conversation, unless it takes 40, 39, could take 47. Who knows? It's a Ron and Don sit-down. We'll do it virtually, and then make sure you get a Ron and Don at Camp Mark. How about that? COVID. I think it's interesting because... Even even on my own social media channels, um, I've, I've I've decided in this season of my life, especially this summer, that I'm just going to put up a lot of happy pictures of myself, my family, our dog, whatever, friends, just doing happy stuff. And I'm writing less. I'm trying to listen more. I'm trying to listen more. Listen more. Uh, there's a there's was an incredible article that came out today about the people that live in Houston. There's a survey that they started sending out in Houston probably 30 years ago. And Houston's a really interesting city because what we see happening in Houston, I think you'll see in a lot of U.S. cities, Houston has always been very white, a bit Hispanic, and not a lot of African Americans because what happened in the South during World War II you had a lot of African-Americans move to places like Detroit uh, because bombers needed to be built. And so it was a lot of women, Rosie Rivet, and a lot of African-Americans that moved places where there were these huge factories, for instance, where Henry Ford built the Model T. And they were able to convert those factories and build the war machine. And that was on the backs of a lot of blacks and also a lot of women. In this country, we know that Hispanics, for instance, have taken over a lot of jobs, and don't argue with me about it because you know it's true. You know you don't want to go pick apples. I remember a story Stephen Colbert did uh, where they tried to hire one white person, I think this was out in eastern Washington, to come pick apples with him, and he couldn't find anyone. So he went out there and picked apples one day. He says the hardest thing that he'd ever done, and he couldn't imagine waking up the next day to do that. Anyway, they do, they do this survey in Houston, and, and they always asked, would ask black people, or they would ask white people, uh, if they felt uh, that the police, for instance, were unfair uh, to blacks. And many of them over the past couple of years, like 47, 48% would maybe agree with that. In Houston, in the deep south, a lot of the respondents this year in that survey, over 85% said they agreed with the fact, they agreed with the fact that policing had to change and that police departments were disproportionately uh, treating black and brown people differently 
That's really extraordinary. Really extraordinary to me. So there's a lesson in that, right? There's a, there, there's, there, there's a lesson that they learned in Houston. They learned that lesson because of the Black Lives Matter movement and because of COVID. And those two things happened simultaneously. And I don't know if COVID didn't happen, if the Black Lives Matter movement uh, would have happened the way that it did. We don't have to go into that right now. But I started thinking about some of the lessons learned. And I don't know about you. Sometimes the lessons that I learn, I end up forgetting. And then I need a reminder. So it seems like they learned a valuable lesson in Houston. Whether that's true or not, I'll let you decide. Uh, But I've been thinking about the lessons that I have learned and my family has learned through COVID. And I want to make sure that I take whatever lessons I learned here and how many days I have left. I want to make sure that I take these lessons with me. And it's one of the reasons why I write a lot to myself and and to my son and sometimes on social media to you and to all of us. But this year, I've been trying to do a better job at really just listening, not worrying about being right or wrong, just listening to other people. When you hear people say no judgment, really trying to work on that, of listening and not having judgment or not all. It, it's hard for Ron and I because on talk radio, we always had to have an opinion about everything, even if he didn't have an opinion about it. It's so great sometimes to not have an opinion and just sit there and listen to people and meet them where they're at. So, Ron, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, COVID-19, as a lot of us now are seeing this in the rearview mirror, and as we get on with our busy lives, what have you learned and what do you want to take with you? Is there a valuable lesson that you want to take with you uh, into the future? Yeah, there's two things that when you're talking about that really uh, stuck out to me. One is not everything needs an in-person meeting. Um, we spent most of our professional lives you always had to go to all these meetings all the time and the thing that i think society has learned at large is you don't need to do that we don't all need to get up early and shower and put on the blazer and drive into the office and you sit around and and you meet about something like the zoom call and being able to just walk from your kitchen with a cup of coffee to the office and do 30 minutes with someone uh, uh, while sharing a screen, I think the majority of time that suffices. Then when you are going to meet in person, it's for something that's very considered. And it, it has a little bit more meaning, I think now, when you say, I want to meet you in person. So that's a big one to me because we spent, I've spent an inordinate amount of time in my life waiting for a meeting to happen, being in traffic to get to the meeting. Now I'm at the meeting place. I have nothing else to do when I'm there. And so now you're driving back. Like the the number of hours and minutes and moments that I have wasted getting ready for, going to, waiting for other people just to meet about something that we really didn't need to be in person for is probably year, It's probably at least a year or more off my life just doing that. So that's something that uh, that I definitely want to take forward. And then the other thing is giving myself permission to take time. Like I'm always a guy that will, if I made a commitment to you, I will put that above everything else. My, my own friends and family, my own things that I'm interested in. And so I end up, if something's going to get bumped, I'd bump my thing over someone else's thing. And so I'm, uh, one lesson I've learned that I'm trying to take forward is to say, it's okay for me to carve times out to go, I'm going to go do this thing because I want to do it. And maybe I have to bump someone else. And the thing is, no one else ever notices really. It's just me that feels bad about it. If I go, hey, I got to do that on Monday. Okay. 
And in my mind, it's like, oh my God, it's a huge ask. I can't believe I'm asking to move this thing to Monday. But nine times out of 10, uh, people are very accommodating. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I, I like that a lot. I, uh, a couple things I learned. I went, I went to a party, a birthday party of a one-year-old uh, little girl. And she's African-American. And I was at the party and I was one of the only white people there. My son was there with me. We were one of the, we were two of the only white people there. And there were probably 40 people, 50 people at this party. And really for the first time, I got to ask myself, I wonder what it's like for my friend Ed Ewing when we're, when I was speaking at the Cascade Bicycle Club one morning, there's a thousand people there for breakfast and Ed's the only black person at the meeting. Out of a thousand people in Seattle. Wonder what that's like. My friend whose house I went to is a police officer. He's one of the only black police officers in his area and on the department. I wonder what that's like. I've never been at a party where I was one of the only white people there. And I have never been treated with more kindness and more love than I was at this party. Proximity. I'm going to continue to put myself in places and spaces as long as I'm welcome and my family's welcome where there are people that don't necessarily look like me, that don't think like me. And I just want to be around them because I want to learn from them. Because the older I get, the more I figure out that I don't have a lot of things to figure out. So I'm going to take that with me, the proximity. Anytime I hear especially white people talking about how black people, how women, how Hispanics feel, I always say this to them. Give me your phone. Let's go through your phone right now and call all your black friends and let's get together this Sunday. I'll cook. You invite all your black friends and let's just ask them questions and see what they think about the things that you're explaining to me when it comes to black culture. Oftentimes knowing that there are no black people in their phone. They don't have any Hispanic people to call. They don't have any gay or transgender people in that. But they sure know how gay and transgender people feel or should feel. So I'm going to try to put myself and my family and our just, just in the proximity of people that maybe don't look or believe the same way that we do. So that's a valuable lesson here that, that, I, that I hope to take with me and I hope to have that opportunity and then I and then I think the other thing is um Tim McGraw the great country singer is taking a shower one day I've shared a little bit of this story before he didn't write this song but in Nashville and Ron knows this because he's a, he's a songwriter uh a lot of Nashville stars don't write their songs but they end up recording songs and there was a song that Faith Hill had been given to sing and perform called Live Like You're Dying. She heard this song and she went into the bathroom where he's taking a shower. She's allowed to do that, you guys, because they're married. Would be something my mom would say. <laughs> I love growing up and she's standing in front of the TV set and two people, it's okay. It's okay, kids, they're married. As long as they're married, it's okay. So she plays this song for him, Live Like You're Dying. And, 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 and Tim McGraw's father was dying. His name is Tug McGraw. 
and he played for the Philadelphia Phillies, a great baseball player. They were estranged from each other for a long time. And then uh, Tim sought him out. And when Tug was dying, they actually brought Tug into their house. And they he, he ended up recording this song. And if you ever go see him in concert, Tim will come out and, and, and sing the song, Live Like You're Dying. And then behind him are pictures of himself and his dad, Tug McGraw. And specifically, I think it was in, I want to say... Was it 1986 when they won the World Series with Tug? I think so. I'm going to say 86. And all those pictures are up there as he's singing the song. Really powerful stuff. So we only have so many minutes and moments. We found out this week that my mom at 78 has breast cancer uh, once again. And I'm going to go be with her in a couple weeks. And uh, she's going to go through some surgeries. And I bet she comes out and turns out great. But we only have our health for a certain period of time. We only have our minutes and moments on earth for a certain period of time. When I was sitting up in, 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 in this treehouse with my son and we were sitting in these nets and we were watching Star Wars over in Redmond and I put those pictures up, I told you about them on my Facebook page, Don O'Neill, if you want to look for those. I'm sitting there just going, I'm savoring the whole thing. Because I know this may be the only time that I sit in a treehouse with him. But then we started wondering, are, are there other treehouses in other places of the world? And maybe that's, that becomes our thing where we travel around the world and we stay in cool treehouses. So we're talking about that. But instead of talking about that, then we're going to do that. When my son said, I want to dive with the turtles, we're like, you know what? Let's go be a diver. You want to be a diver? Let's go learn about diving. So he's now a certified diver at the age of 11. It's over before we know it. As I get older, life goes faster. And as I see my mom now facing breast cancer for a second time, I wonder what are some of the things that she wants to do before her story is finalized. So anyway, some things I've been thinking about. If you've been thinking about some stuff, find us on our Facebook channels. You can also find Ron Rupshaw on his Instagram. I'm Don O'Neill, 34. Hey, you guys. Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show, episode 281. Again, licensed brokers at Windermere. So if you need us, just reach out. Ron at Windermere.com. We'll get you those playbooks. You keep your head up. Keep your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time for episode 282. All right. On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.